Welcome to the Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn with Houston Public Media. And I'm Eric Skelly of Rocco, River Oaks Chamber Orchestra. And this time we're talking about Rodgers and Hammerstein's Carousel Eric, which was their second collaboration and debuted in 1945. Yeah, and it's interesting that opera companies are now choosing to uh, turn their attention to American musical theater, but specifically uh, American musical theater of a, of a certain vintage. Because if you if you go too, too modern, it gets to be a little bit too pop-oriented, which doesn't make sense. But when you look at Rodgers and Hammerstein and you look at George Gershwin and Jerome Drunk Kern, uh, these folks... When people ask where you know where are your Verdi's and your Wagner's and your Mozart's, there they are. Right, they're right, right there. This was their second collaboration for Rodgers and Hammerstein. Their first being 1943, Oklahoma. Right, which again is another piece of musical theatre that is often put on stage by uh, opera companies. Right, and that one was a game changer. That really was. Uh redefined the genre in a way and, and really redirected it and allowed people to think completely differently of what musical theater could do. It didn't have to be just a review. It could actually have a story plus, you know, with a ballet choreographed by no less than Agnes DeMille, which they brought back for Carousel as well. What about Showboat, which precedes Oklahoma? Jerome Kern and, uh, in fact, Oscar Hammerstein was involved in the, the writing of Showboat as right. well. So where does that fall in that this was, history? That was the very first, at least if I, if, I, if I remember my musical theater history correctly, that was the very first that was a book musical that uh, wasn't a review. And it wasn't like the, the, the Broadway reviews or the Ziegfeld Follies or, or what came before it. But there was, was a narrative. A, it had a story. A through-composed piece that character had, development. Yeah, the music and, wove in and out, and uh, and told a, a story and told told a story that was edgy. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was. Uh, and dealt with with racism, just as Carousel deals with some pretty thorny issues as well. Uh, spousal life abuse. and death. Yes, life spousal and death. Abuse, life and death. All kinds of robbery. Very suicide. Yeah. Yeah. Opera. It wouldn't be opera. <laughs> I was going to say, it wouldn't be opera otherwise, would exactly. it? Exactly. So Carousel is based on the play Lilium by Hungarian playwright uh, Ferenc Molnar. Right. Which he wrote right at the beginning of the uh, 20th century. And it was set in Budapest, I believe. Right. And Rodgers and Hammerstein have taken that story and transposed it to New England. Right. To Maine. Exactly. And where does the carousel come in? <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's where our, our main characters meet. Uh, Billy Bigelow is a carousel barker. And Julie Jordan and her friend Carrie are out on the town. They're mill workers. And they, um, they happen upon the carousel. And, and that's how Billy and Julie meet. It's about, I think it's 1873 is when this is set. Right. And as you say, Julie and her friend Carrie are out and they come across the carousel and Billy Bigelow is the barker. And it was his job to entice people to come and ride on the carousel, a carousel that is owned by Mrs. Mullen. Right. Who has a thing for Billy. Yeah, she's kind of shady about it too. And when Julie meets Billy, there is 
an almost immediate attraction, isn't there? Yes, very much so. And Mrs. Mullen notices. And she's mad. Yes, she is. She does not like that one bit. Because Billy accompanies Julie on the ride, and she allows him to put his arm around her waist. This is 1873, don't forget. Mm. You know, that was kind of scandalous. That's a little, you know. yeah. <laughs> That's a little frisky. A glimpse of stocking was considered something shocking. <laughs> Mrs. Mullen sees, and she's jealous, and she actually fires Billy. When he stands up for Julie. Julie and Carrie start to argue with Mrs. Mullen, who sort of picks a fight, and Billy steps in and, and stands, stands up for Julie, and is consequently summarily fired. So he then invites Julie to join him to go for a drink. Right. And Carrie asks Julie what she thinks about Billy. What are her feelings? And Julie is sort of evasive. Yeah. As she, she know is yet. throughout throughout the piece, really. Yeah. She's not sure. She's she's conflicted about her feelings. Carrie has a boyfriend as well. He's a fisherman named Enoch Snow. And it's interesting that throughout this you have that constant comparison of, of Carrie and Enoch and Julie and Billy. Again, very operatic. Look at La Boheme, for instance. You've got the two couples that are contrasting, and you have the same thing in Puccini's La Rondine, and yeah, it's a very operatic uh, sort of juxtaposition of two contrasting couples. So Billy goes off to get his belongings because he's been fired, and he returns to get Julie so they can go for that drink. And Carrie wards her not to stay out late because if she does, she uh, she might not make it to work in the morning and she'll lose her job. Right. Just then, the mill owner, Mr. Bascom, comes by and he offers to escort Julie home, knowing that she's one of his workers. Yeah. And she refuses and, lo and behold... She's fired. <laughs> it's not oh, a good night. We're off to a great start, aren't we? <laughs> so um, she and she and Billy are now left alone, and this is where you get one of the great love duets. Well, period, full stop. Uh, certainly from Rogers and Hammerstein's output. This is uh, "If I Loved You," and basically they're just kind of sounding each other out. Well. I know you don't love me, but if you did, what would that be like? They're kind of testing the waters, and they're both, they're both a little skittish. They're kind of dipping their toes in the water to see what it's like. This is the, the first flowering of their relationship, of their love. And this is where you see why it really behooves opera companies to look at this piece, because this is a, this is a number, and, and everything really that Julie and Billy sing, it, it behooves you to cast classically trained singers because it's not easy music it requires a lot of range and a lot of dynamic variation and it's operatic it really is this is why a work like carousel really benefits from the resources that an opera company has as opposed to a musical theater company as act one continues it's a month later after julie and billy have met and the town is preparing for one of the big events of the summer, and that is the annual clam bake. Right. And the townsfolk, the chorus, etc., sing this wonderful song. June is busting out all over. Right. Now we find out that Julie and Billy have gotten married, and they're living at 
Nettie's spa. Nettie is Julie's cousin. Right. And she has a small spa resort in the coastal town where they are. And all is not roses, however, with this marriage. Um, already a month in. In conversation with Carrie, Julie tells her that he's hit her. Well, he's unemployed. He's frustrated because he can't find a job, and he takes it out on Julie. Yeah. Carrie, again, we're talking about the comparison of these two couples. Julie has this bad news that uh, Billy has beaten her. (laughs) Carrie has her news, which is she and Enoch have gotten engaged. Right. So Billy shows up with a friend of his, and this is Jigger Cragen. Jigger Cragen. Jigger Cragen. He is a he's a ne'er do well whaler. He's trouble. He's a sailor, isn't he? He is abs. He is just trouble on legs. And when Billy is with Jigger, Billy's bad side comes out. It brings out the worst in him. And when Jigger shows up, Billy is rude. He's rude to Enoch. He's rude to Julie. And then he leaves with Jigger, and Julie, who is pretty distraught, runs after him. And then we have this scene into the relationship of Enoch and Carrie, where they uh, they sing this song, When the Children Are Asleep, where they talk about their future together. And Enoch says, I'm going to be rich, selling herring, and we're going to have a large family. These two are by the book. They do everything just as society expects them to, and, they're, and they seem happy doing so. He's kind of a stick in the mud, but he's successful, and he's, he's everything that she, that she wants. So all power to him, I say. <laughs> <laughs> the scene changes, and we are with Jigger and his shipmates on the boat and Billy is there with them, and they're singing the song Blow High, Blow Low about life on an ocean wave. A sea chanty, yeah. That's right. Yeah. And Jigger tries to get Billy to get involved with him in a robbery. Yeah. Trouble, trouble, trouble. Billy pulls back because he sees that this could really escalate into something really bad because the victim is, is supposed to be Julie's erstwhile boss. Mr. Bascom. Mr. Bascom. Mm-hmm. And there might have to he might have to be killed. Maybe. In the if it goes as wrong. part of the robbery. If it goes wrong. So it's on this scene that Mrs. Mullen, Billy's erstwhile employer. Owner of the carousel. Yeah, shows up and she tries to get Billy back to come back to work with her for the carousel. But she says he would have to give up on his marriage because she can't use a married barker. You know, she needs. she's basically dangling him as bait to all the girls. And if he's married, you know, that's no good to her. Billy considers it. And then Julie enters as the others leave. And she tells him the big news, that she is pregnant. Yeah. And Billy's reaction is, I mean, you see the good side of Billy. Because right. he is overjoyed. He is so happy. That she's pregnant. And here's another very operatic moment. This is Billy's soliloquy. Alone on stage, he now thinks about what it would be like to have a son. And it's, it, it's a far-ranging you know, soliloquy. This thing really 
it, it takes a classically based singer again. So he's thinking about what it would be like to have a, a Bill Jr. And then suddenly it dawns on him in the middle of the soliloquy, whoa, Ooh. wait a minute. <laughs> what if it's a girl? Yeah, right. And then he starts to embrace that concept. And as you quite rightly say, we really see the good side of Billy and really see what Julie sees in him, despite the fact that he keeps he keeps straying to the dark side. He's determined now to provide financially for the family, which is the good side of him. And of course, how does he determine he's going to do that? He decides that he will be Jigger's accomplice in the robbery. Because he needs the money now. Right. So we've got the good side of him because his motivation is pure. Yeah. And the bad side of him because... He keeps making really spectacularly bad life decisions. (laughs) The town is getting together now for the clam bake. And Billy, who had originally said he wasn't going to go, agrees to go to join Julie because he... Needs an alibi. He needs an alibi. He and Jigger will need that alibi of being at the clam bake. Right. Where they can slip away, do what they need to do, and slip back in. End of Act One. End of Act One. In Act Two, we open with a wonderful song, (laughs) sung by uh, the chorus, the townsfolk, etc. This was a real nice clam bake. And if I remember correctly, and I'm, I'm pretty certain this is true, this is a song that was originally supposed to go in Oklahoma. Oh, really? Really. I believe it was, this was a real nice picnic. And it just didn't make the cut, but they held on to it because they liked it, and they just slipped it into, uh, into Carousel and, and uh, changed picnic to clam bake, and there you go. <laughs> <laughs> kind of funny. like Rossini, right? <laughs> That's right. Oklahoma revolves around the picnic. And carousel around the clam bake. Exactly. So they are all having a good time. They've had a good time at the clam bake. And Jigger then tries to seduce Carrie. And as he's doing that, Enoch walks in and sees what's going on. And he splits up with Carrie. He dumps her. He's finished with her. Yeah, because he's a stick in the mud. (laughs) So, of course... Carrie is upset, and Julie and her other female friends try and comfort her and remind her that this is Enoch. She loves Enoch, so she has to make it work. Yeah, and she says this to Carrie in a a song called What's the Use of Wondering, basically saying, as you say, this is your guy. For better or for worse, you got to stick with him, which strikes one as, you know, maybe Julie is singing singing this to herself to try to convince herself as much as anything because she's with a guy who keeps, as we say, straying to the dark side. And then Julie sees Billy trying to sneak away with Jigger. Presumably they are about to go and commit this robbery. And she tries to hold him back and she feels that under his shirt he has a knife. Yeah. And she tries to get him to give it to her, not to take it, but he refuses. And he and Jigger leave, of course, to commit this robbery. So off they go in pursuit of Mr. Bascom, presumably. Yeah. And while they're waiting for the right time, the right opportunity, they start playing cards. And they start gambling. And what do they have to gamble with? (laughs) The proceeds of the robbery. Yeah, which they don't have yet. (laughs) Billy loses at cards, 
and he loses his share of the proceeds from the robbery. So basically, he could go home. Right. He's got nothing. He's got no reason to uh, to go on and, and and do the robbery. However, it all backfires because their plan was to attack Mr. Bascom and to steal the the daily the, proceeds from from the mill. The mill. Mm-hmm. What they don't know is that Mr. Bascom has already deposited that money in the bank. Right. And so the robbery fails. And, you know, they've broken into the house to get the money. And Bascom confronts them and he pulls a gun on Billy and Jigger escapes, runs away. And Billy, I guess, realizes what he's done. and There's no way out. There's no way out. And he stabs himself with the knife just as he's lying there about to expire, Julie arrives and she's able to hear his last words. She strokes his hair and she's finally able to say what she hasn't been able to say since Act One, and that is that she loves him. Yeah. And he dies. Of course, Carrie and Enoch are reunited because of what happens to Billy. And then Nettie, Julia's cousin, shows up, and she's trying to console Julie and build her up and give her some perspective on things. And she sings what is undoubtedly the biggest number from Carousel. Oh, yeah. You'll never walk alone. Exactly. Again, a very operatic number. And it's one of those anthems, isn't it, mm-hmm. that has taken on a life of its own. Because it's a great song. I mean, it is a really inspiring piece of music. Then the plot takes a strange turn. Yeah. Because suddenly this whole supernatural element comes in. We follow Billy to heaven, basically. <laughs> His spirit is going up to heaven. And he gets to see the star keeper, who is sort of like a, a, a heavenly official. Sort of St. Peter at the gates. And the star keeper tells Billy that because he was not that good in his life on earth, he can't go into heaven at the moment. But as long as there is a person alive who remembers him, he can return to earth for a day to try and do good to redeem himself so that when he goes back up to heaven, he will be able to get into heaven. But there's more. <laughs> it seems like just an instant has passed since he died, but in fact... 15 years. You got it. It's been 15, 15 years. years since he died. And in, the, in that 15 years, Julie has indeed given birth. And it was a girl, a little girl whom she named Louise. And the starkeeper shows Billy, looking down from heaven, he shows him Louise. Yes. Louise is about to graduate high school, but she's lonely. She's sort of an outcast, and she's sort of bitter. Yeah. Partly because her father was a thief and a wife-beater, and so she's sort of shunned by her peers. And this is where we get the story ballet. This is where the Agnes DeMille ballet came in. And uh, you see 
Louise's story through dance. It's done through dance. And it's, uh, it's, it's quite ingenious. There is this musical interlude, Billy Makes a Journey. As this is going on, this is the music that they dance to. Right. And in the dance, there is a, a young ruffian who, much like Billy was at that age, he flirts with her, but then he leaves her. He abandons her. And when the ballet concludes, Billy is anxious to return to Earth to help Louise. And as he's preparing to leave heaven to go down to Earth, he steals a star to take with him. When the starkeeper has his back turned, thinking that the starkeeper doesn't see it, but he does. does. (laughs) (laughs) So then we're back down on Earth outside Julia's cottage, and Carrie is describing to Julie her visit to New York with Enoch, who is now a wealthy man. It's 15 years later. He has made his money. And they have a passel of children, (laughs) (laughs) not surprisingly. A whole passel of children. Enoch and all the kids come in to carry because they have to get ready to go to the high school graduation later that day. And Carrie's oldest son, Enoch Jr., remains behind as the others go off to get ready. And he talks to Louise. And at the same time, Billy and the starkeeper enter and are observing all of this. But they're invisible. Yeah, nobody nobody can see them or hear them. Louise confides in Enoch Jr. that she is planning to run away from home. She's going to, to run away and join an acting troupe. And Enoch Jr. says... I can stop you. I will stop you by marrying you. Even though he says his father wouldn't approve of the match because just like his father, he's a stick in the mud. (laughs) But we have, again, that comparison. The two families are always juxtaposed. Mm -hmm. And when Enoch Jr. says that he would marry her, but his dad wouldn't let him, Louise is offended. Yeah. (laughs) And they start to insult each other's father. And Louise tells Enoch to go away. Yeah. So it's at this point, Billy, who apparently can can make himself visible to people that he loves, he actually becomes visible to Louise and tells him that he knew her father, was a friend of her father. And he gives her a gift, which is the star that he stole from heaven. <laughs> she's, she's not too grateful. She doesn't want it. She refuses it. And Billy gets upset yeah. because she won't take the gift. And he slaps her hand. Yeah. And immediately makes himself invisible as Louise goes to Julie and tells her everything that happened and says... I mean, she's she's incredulous because, I mean, she said, you know, he hit me. He slapped my hand, but it didn't hurt. It felt like a kiss. And Julie says that she understands that perfectly. She understands exactly what that's like. As Louise goes inside the house, Julie sees the star that Billy had tried to give her, which has been dropped. She picks it up. And she sort of gets a, a sort of a, a sense that Billy is there is with there. her. Mm-hmm. And she, again, reprises that song, If I Loved You, that they sang when they first met in Act One. Yeah. 
So it's Louise's graduation, and Billy is there, invisible, hoping for one last chance to uh, help his daughter and redeem himself. Because if he if he can help Louise, then he has a shot at getting into heaven. Yeah. The graduation speaker is the, the town, town doctor. physician, Doctor yeah. Selden, who just happens to bear a striking resemblance to the starkeeper. <laughs> Not a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> and his in his speech, he gives these you know words of wisdom to the graduating class, and he tells them not to rely on their parents' successes, or be held back by their failures. And then he leads everybody in this wonderful song, "You'll Never Walk Alone." Billy, who is still invisible, whispers to Louise, telling her to listen carefully and to believe what Dr. Selden has said. And she's, she's sort of inspired. She can't, she can't hear him directly, but she's sort of inspired. You, you, can, you can tell, just like Julie did before, she can sort of sense that he might be there, and she's inspired, and she sort of turns to this other girl uh, next to her, and you're sort of left with the feeling that Maybe she won't be an outcast anymore, that she'll, she'll learn to reach out to people and not isolate herself. Then Billy goes to Julie and tells her at last that he loves her, that he loved her and he still loves her. And as Julie and Louise join in the singing of You'll, You'll Never, Never Walk, Walk Alone, Alone, Billy is taken back up to heaven to receive his reward. End of act two, end of opera, end of musical. Yeah. 1943, the first Rodgers and Hammerstein production, as we said, was Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. And it was a phenomenal success. Mm -hmm. Because as you said, Eric, it was something new. It was innovative. Very. The problem was for Rodgers and Hammerstein, how are they going to follow up Oklahoma? Because whatever they did would inevitably be compared to Oklahoma, which had been such a huge success. Yeah. When Carousel debuted, it was a success as well. It's not Oklahoma part de <laughs> by any means, but there are similarities. You're in a rural setting. One's in, in the rural Midwest, one's in the rural uh, New England. You have an Agnes DeMille story ballet that is not just arbitrarily plunked in there, you know, like, like French opera used to do, that had to have a, a ballet, and they would just plunk it in and get it over with and move on. Mm -hmm. In this case, it's an actual plot-developing device. It doesn't stop the drama. It's not just arbitrarily plunked in. It moves the story along and tells it in a unique way, or at least unique to musical theater uh, up to that point. In 1999, Time magazine chose Carousel as the best musical of the 20th century. Mm. And in fact, Richard Rogers always said that this was his favorite of all the things that he wrote. Rogers and Hammerstein's Carousel that's this week's Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. Thank you for listening.